Take your Bibles. Turn to uh, John chapter six. Hey, welcome to all of you over in the venue watching online. Once again, I'm glad you're with us. Uh, hold, hold up the word. Let me see it. Come on, come on. Everybody's got one in your hand. Come on, come on. Over in the venue. Put it up, put it up. All right, all right, come on. John six. If you don't own a Bible, go into the altar and we'll give you one, okay? We'll give you your own copy that you can take home, mark up, read, do anything you want to with it. Uh, it's yours. We want to put the Word of God into as many hands as we can. If you're over in the venue, go into the altar over there. If you're watching online, just show up here at the church on Monday. Come to the church office Monday, Tuesday, whatever, and we will um, give you your own Bible. We as a uh, church family, we're going through the Gospel of John together. One of the nice things or neat things about John's Gospel is that uh, there's all these really neat, uh, neat and special vignettes of the life of, of Christ, little stories, and, and we're just kind of walking through it together, and we are in John chapter 6. But before I, I get into our text for today, I want to kind of get us all caught up on what we've looked at so far in John 6. The first thing we looked at was the fact that Jesus fed over 15,000 people with a little boy's sack lunch. This was one of the great miracles that you find in, in the Bible. 15,000 men, women, kids had gathered on the side of this hill. It was now late. Jesus knew these people were hungry. There wasn't any fast food for them to go eat. There was no you know, pizza parlor on speed dial. And he took a sack lunch that had five loaves of bread in it and two fish, and he fed everybody. He put them in groups of 50, he put them in groups of 100, and these 15,000 people were all fed. That night, those 15,000 people had bellies that were full of food. That, that night, they were all full. Now, now, you all went to bed last night and your bellies were full. Did it last? No, you woke up today and you had to eat some more, right? In fact, it's not even gonna last for, for another hour or so and you'll eat again. You see, physical food will only satisfy you for a little while. Now you need it. And Jesus, in this one moment, feeds all of these people. He met a real physical need that they had. Their bellies were full. The second thing we looked at was the fact that Jesus walks on water and he calms the, the fears of his disciples. So right after Jesus feeds these 15,000 people and they're all out there eating, Jesus looks at his 12 guys and he says, hey, I want you to get on a boat. I want you to row out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They get in a boat. They go out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and a big storm came up. And all of these guys were kind of freaked out. They were worried. They thought they were going to drown. And there came Jesus walking on the water. And he gets into the boat, calms the, the, the storm, and he calmed their, their, their hearts. And then last week we looked at number three. Jesus tells the people that I am the, the bread of life. So Jesus feeds the 15,000. He tells his guys to go out on a boat. And while they were out on that boat all night long, all of these people went to sleep. And they wake up, and it's now morning, and guess what? They're hungry. Where's Jesus? They're looking around for Jesus. Well, he's left. He's not there anymore. 
He walked across the Sea of Galilee, got on that boat, and he's on the other side of the lake now. And so these people are all up, and they're trying to find him. In fact, look at verse 25 of John 6. When they found him on the other side of the lake, when these 15,000 people found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me, not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, you're not here following me right now because I blew your mind with a miracle and then I'm proving who I said I am and that's the son of God. You're just here because you're looking for a bagel. You're looking for some food. And then he says, do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, on the Son of Man, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And that's a great question. Okay, Jesus, what, what work should we do? What's the work that will, you know, make the Heavenly Father happy? What is that work? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to be baptized and join a church. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? Sorry, sorry, goof that one up. Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Go out and do a lot of really good things and hopefully all those good things you do outweigh the bad things you do and that really makes the Father happy. Doesn't say that. Jesus said, here's the work of God. Is just believe in the one who he has sent. And that was his son, Jesus. That's it. That's the work. Being baptized, good thing. Joining a church, good thing. Doing good things is a good thing. But the work of God is simply to believe in who Jesus was. But Jesus goes on and he says this in verse 35. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. You see what he's done? He's kind of pulling a fast one on them. He, he gave them physical bread 12 or 13 hours ago, and now they're hungry again. And now he's saying, hey, listen, I'm the bread of life. Whoever, whoever comes to me, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, whoever puts their trust in me, whoever surrenders their life over to me, you won't, you won't be hungry again. You, you, you believe in me, man, you'll, you'll never be thirsty again. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'll satisfy you in a way that nothing else can. And then Jesus said this in verse 53, okay, look at this. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. 
For my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I'm the true bread that comes down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but they will live forever. And last week, Pastor Joel just did a great job of unpacking that section of scripture. And if you weren't here, you need to go onto our website and watch the sermon, it's free, or download the, 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 the audio, it's absolutely free, it doesn't cost you anything, and listen to it. It was really fa fantastic. Now this gets us to our passage today. Everybody look at verse 60. So many of the disciples, and this doesn't mean all the disciples, but, but a lot of them, the overwhelming majority of them said, whoa! This is very hard to understand. How can anybody accept it? And Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, and so he says to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. The very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but some of you don't believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones who didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to his 12 disciples and asked, are you also gonna leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to, to whom would we go? You, you have the, the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you, but one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the 12 who would later betray him. And we'll, we'll stop there, okay? So here we have this group of people that have been following Jesus around and they just heard him say, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have eternal life. Jesus said, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. And most of the people were just blown away. In fact, most of the people just went, I'm done. That's, that's over the top. And they deserted him. These people started off great. They, they loved Jesus. They loved following Jesus around. They started off great, but they're not gonna finish well. These were people that were hip, hip, hooray Jesus. And now all of a sudden it's, whoa, 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 that's, that's too much. And now they're fading. They're not gonna finish well. 
So in this crowd, there were two very different responses. Why? Well, the easy answer is that most of the people that walked away from Jesus and didn't finish well, they just, they weren't true believers. They were incapable of understanding what Jesus had said because their eyes had been blinded to spiritual things. That's the easy answer, and I had every intention of unpacking this thought with you, but for whatever reason, I decided to go in a different direction this weekend because there's something else here. There, there, there's something here that I think is pretty weighty, and it's found in verses 60 and 61. And uh, next weekend, Lord willing, I'll, I'll come back and we'll treat this passage maybe a little bit differently. So, so here we go, okay? I wanna begin by asking you a question. Would you rather start well or would you rather finish well? Now, I realize you can do both, but if you had to choose one of those two, would you, would you rather start well or finish well? Which one would you choose? And I heard a couple of you yell it out. We, we, we all probably would say we wanna, we wanna finish well. In fact, I think every true believer would say, you know what, if I had to choose between those two, I, I, I wanna finish well. And there's this really great parable that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 21 that I think goes right along with this. It says this, but what do you think about this? One of the things you learn about Jesus is he was always asking questions, always. So he's got a group of people in front of him and he says, hey, what do you think about this? There was a man who had two sons who told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son said, no, I'm not going, no way, dad. But later he changed his mind and he went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, no problem, dad. Yeah, I'll go. But he ends up not going. Which of the two obeyed his father? <laughs> the obvious answer is the first guy, right? He said, no, no, I'm not gonna do it. He doesn't start well. But then he rethinks it and he actually does it. He, he finishes well. The second guy said yes at first. Man, he, he starts off great, but he never does it. He doesn't follow through with his commitment. He doesn't end well. And in a weird way, I, I think we see the second guy in our story today. Yeah, yeah, we love you, Jesus. We'll follow you, Jesus. Count us in. But now we're watching them fade away. They're not going to finish very well. In fact, they're gonna blow Jesus off. Why, what happened? Well, I think we find some really great thoughts in verses 60 and 61, as I said, on how we can not only start off well in our faith and our walk with the Lord, but most importantly, how we can finish well. Now, I wanna be, be clear with you. I'm not talking about salvation. If you gave your life to Christ and that was a genuine commitment, you, you, you genuinely submitted your life to Christ. You, you said, Jesus, I don't wanna be the CEO of my life anymore. You're gonna be the CEO of my life. Jesus, no longer does my will matter or what the world thinks, but you and your word is what matters to me. If, you, if that was a genuine decision, you're saved. Your sins are forgiven and it's a done deal. But unfortunately, too many believers don't finish well. Too many believers start off great, but 
something happens along the way. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And here we have this imagery that there's all of the saints that have have come before us that have died and imagine a football stadium, you know, football season started and imagine a stadium filled with people and the people in the stands are all the the saints that have gone before us and they're in the stands and we that are still alive, we're down on the field. We, We have a race that God has laid out before us and the people in the stands, the witnesses are cheering us on. Come on, man, go for it. End well. God put a race in front of you. Come on, you can do it. And that's the imagery you get here in Hebrews 12, is that God has a race that he set out before each of us. I don't know what yours is. I know what mine is. I know what my purpose is here on planet Earth. I get it. I'm not just educated goo. I'm not not a little higher up on the evolutionary chain than an orangutan. I'm a human being made in the very image of God. God has a plan for my life, a race for my life, just like he does you. And he wants you to finish the race. He he doesn't want you just to start the race. He wants you to finish the race. Second Chronicles chapter 25 says, Amaziah was 25 years old when he became the king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord He just didn't do it wholeheartedly. And that's just really pathetic. He started off great. Yeah, count me in, you know. But he's not going to end well. He he, he loved to come to church. Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. He loved it when the green basket went by. He'd throw money in. He'd do all kinds of stuff. Sundays was God's, right? But every other day was his. He was going to do whatever he wanted to. And now now that it's football season, you know what happens to a lot of believers? Sundays doesn't even belong to God anymore. It's more important to watch some guys throw a ball around. Then we have this great statement from our brother Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Hey, hey, God had a plan and a race before me, man, and I nailed it. I've been faithful. And I think that everybody who's a true believer, that has to resonate within your soul, doesn't it? Doesn't every true believer want to get to the end of their life and go, you know what? I just didn't start off well. But man, I fought the good fight. I I finished the race. I finished what God had intended me to do. And I remained faithful. I finished finished well. In the 1968 Olympics, which were held in Mexico City, there was a marathon runner that came all the way from Tanzania. His name was John Akawari. 
And he tripped and he fell on, on a number of occasions throughout the race. He got cramps in his legs and all that kind of stuff. And he, he literally was the last guy to finish the race. But after the race, he said one of the most powerful things ever. And I happened to find a video clip of it. Check out the jumbotrons. At the 1968 Mexico City Marathon, three men earned the right to stand on the victory platform, the winners of the gold, silver, and bronze Olympic medals. But for some, the reward is a personal one, the knowledge that they finished what they set out to do. A little over an hour after the winner of the marathon crossed the finish line, John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania approaches the stadium the last man to complete the journey. A voice calls from within to go on, and so he goes on. came in last place, dude. Why'd you finish this thing? Because my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to simply start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to actually finish the race. And I thought, wow, man, that's got a lot of application for us as followers of Jesus. Look, Jesus didn't live, leave the, the, the glories of heaven and come to planet earth and live a, a perfect life, literally a perfect life, and voluntarily go to a cross and die a horrific death and then, and then walk out of a tomb three days later proving that he was who he said he was, that was the son of God and that he had even power over death he didn't draw you to himself and open your eyes to the truth. 
He didn't send his Holy Spirit to indwell you and, and empower you. He didn't leave you his word, which is the spiritual nourishment that we need. He didn't leave you a bunch of brothers and sisters in the Lord, the church, to encourage you so that you could somehow start the race and then live some sort of carnal life. He wants you to finish the race. Whatever, whatever that is that he's laid before you. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you. In other words, I, I, got, a, I got a purpose for you. I got a race laid out for you. And part of that is that you would produce fruit, lasting fruit. In other words, not only do you, are you gonna start well, but you're gonna finish well. But here's the deal, if you've been a Christian for more than about five minutes, you, you know that sometimes living out your faith can be tough. We all know of believers that have dropped out of the race. <laughs> and they're doing nothing for the kingdom. And if you're not careful, it, it, it can happen to you. If I'm not careful, it can happen to me. So as I said today, we're gonna take a look at how you and I can finish well or how you and I can make sure that we bear much fruit for God. And I wanna begin by looking in a very weird place. I wanna begin by looking at those that didn't finish well in our text, because we learned some things from them. The first thing I'll, I'll share is this. If you wanna finish well, you have to work hard at understanding the Bible. You have to work hard at it. Look at verse 60. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anybody accept it? Remember, remember Jesus was doing well with the people. He'd made everybody really happy when he turned some water into wine at a wedding. He healed a man and everybody said, wow, that's good, we like it. Then he healed a little boy and you know, everybody said, oh Jesus, man, you're really doing great. Then he feeds the, the 15,000 and, and man, man, you're on a roll now. Woo, we're gonna follow you. And then he said, hey, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, whoa, time out. Stop the tape. Rewind it. What? Man, you were doing so good. One victory on another. Woo, we were with you. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. You're the bread of life. What are you? Whoa, 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 whoa. Who in the world could understand that? Beloved, it wasn't the, the, the teaching that was hard, it was our hearts that were hard. I know that Jesus' teachings can be challenging. I know that there are many things in this book that you can read, they're, they're challenging to understand, but they're always possible to understand. But it's gonna take some effort. It's gonna take some juice. You're gonna have to burn some calories if, if you wanna understand the word and thus finish well. Listen to what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter one. He said, for this reason, make every effort, burn some juice. 
It's going it's to have to put some sweat into this. To add to your faith. Add to your faith? Yeah. Everybody starts off with a yes, yes. Yes, Lord, I'll give you my life. Maybe you're at a Billy Graham crusade. Maybe it was here at a Christmas thing or an Easter thing. Maybe last weekend you went into the altar room and gave your life to Christ. And there was this beginning moment. You, you started off, yeah, count me in. But Peter says you've got to make some effort to add to your faith. Goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. In other words, you're learning more about it. He says this. They will keep you from being ineffective. If you're increasing in these things, they'll keep you from being unproductive or maybe quitting halfway through the marathon in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, in, our, in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This means understanding truth, comprehending truth, uh, applying truth. And here's the deal, bro, brothers and sisters, it takes energy. Just take some efforts, a lot of effort. It's not easy. There's this really great moment in Mark chapter 12 when the Sadducees, they were a bunch of religious leaders, they come and ask Jesus a question. It says this in, in chapter 12, verse 18. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there was no resurrection from the dead, and they posed this question. Okay, they're asking Jesus a question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. Then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them and there were still no children. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. If I would have been Jesus, I'd have just done this. Losers. But Jesus is much more kind and compassionate than I am. And he says this. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures, that's your mistake. You haven't put any effort in to really understanding what the scriptures say. And you don't know the power of God. Well, you can't understand the power of God unless you know what the scriptures teach. And then, I wasn't gonna add this, but I know some of you would go crazy if you didn't hear the, the answer. Um, <laughs> For when the dead rise, they will neither be uh, neither married nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. So if you ever wanted to know what it's going to be like in heaven as it relates to marriage and all that, Jesus just, just told you. I just gave you some data. And some of you are going, wow, I needed to know that. Yeah. Beloved, if you don't know the scriptures, it's going to be really hard for you to finish well. It'll be really hard for you to bear fruit for God. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, work hard 
so that you can present yourselves to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. And to be somebody who explains this book correctly takes hard work. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter three, he says, if anybody asks about the hope you as a believer have, always be ready to explain it, but do in a gentle and respectful way. God's expectation is if somebody asks you, why are you a follower of Christ? Tell me, give me the overview of the scripture. It's God's expectation that his family members would be able to explain why we believe in what we believe in. The Bible doesn't say that we have to convince anybody. I I, I don't, you take a hundred people that I might meet in a month and talk with over coffee, um, over lunch, in the altar room, around church or whatever, and I'm going to explain to them what I believe. Of those 100 people, 90 of them will blow me off. 90 of them will make fun of me. 90 of them will say, well, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't care whether you believe in the Bible or not. I just explain to you why I believe what I believe, and that's all I'm called to do. I'm not called to convince anybody of anything. I can't. It's the Lord who draws people to himself. But I do have the responsibility of working hard, putting some effort into it, burning some calories, if you will, to know what it says, to have some understanding. Look, it takes some juice just to actually read the Bible, doesn't it? I mean, just to read it, to simply read it takes some effort. Man, the world we live in now, Man, the enemy's made sure that you're busy from the moment your alarm goes off until you go to bed. There's no time to even read the scriptures. I think one of the great tools of the devil was the snooze button. Some of you are too young to remember a time when your alarm went off. You just had to get up. Because you weren't going to get up and there was no snooze button. You weren't going to get up and reprogram it for five more minutes. It'd take you 30 to reprogram it. So you just, it went off, you got up, you know, you'd stagger into the kitchen, grab some coffee, and you, you know, you'd burn some juice reading the word. Now, your alarm goes off, five more minutes, five more minutes, five more minutes, five more minutes, and then guess what, man? Finally, you're just running to the shower with a bagel in your mouth, and, because you just, you just can't do it. And then, and then it takes even more effort to study the Bible where you pull out a number two pencil and a yellow pad of paper and you go, okay, I'm gonna gonna study this. I'm gonna get into this. Forget the effort it takes just to read it. Now it takes effort to study it. It takes effort, you know, to set aside some time and come down to a woman's Bible study. Set aside some time to come to our men's Bible study. It takes some effort. It ain't easy. Gotta figure out who's watching the kids, who's not gonna watch the kids if you have children. Then we're called to meditate on the word. Man, that takes even more time. Forget reading it, forget studying it, but man, God says, I want you to meditate 
on this. In my little group that I have that study the word together, our memory verse was James chapter four last week and um, where James asked this question, what is your life? That, that's one of those questions that you can't go, what is your life and just do, 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 let's move on. Are you kidding me? What an incredible thought. What is your life? And then James gives us a, a thought. And the Bible gives us lots of thoughts about what our lives are. But James says this. Here's what your life is. And this man, a selfie generation, hates this. Here's your life. You're nothing but a vapor. <laughs> Here for one moment and gone the next. Well, that doesn't sound cool. <laughs> yeah, God just wants you to know a little something about you. He still loves you, cares about you deeply, died on a cross for you. But be careful what you think about your life. You're not as important as you think you are. You're here, and then you're gone. And knowing that ought to make a difference in maybe how you live. And, and, and then, you know, we're to memorize the scripture. I, anyway, all that to say, it just takes some juice. And if you want to finish well, you got to understand the scriptures. That takes a lot of juice. And, and, and number two, if you want to finish well, don't complain about what the scriptures teach. Look at verse 61. Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Now, once again, most of the people that were complaining weren't true believers, but not all of them. But here's the deal. There's a, there's a huge difference between questioning the truth that's found in the Bible and grumbling and complaining about the truth you find in the Bible. It's a win when you're studying the Bible to have questions about it. It's a win to say, man, Jesus, I don't get this. What does this mean? That's a win. It's a win to come to a men's study or a woman's study and read some things and go, wow, man, I, I don't know if I get, I don't understand. Can you help me, Jesus? Hey, there's nothing wrong with saying, whoa, whoa, that, whoo, that one's, that one's hard. Help me, Jesus. Help me live that one out. Nothing wrong with that. That's how we grow. And I think Mary might be a great example of this. Remember, the angel tells her that she's going to have a baby, you know, God's baby, and this is what she said in Luke chapter one. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Hey, that's a good question. In fact, that's a great question. Mary's mom and dad told her how you get pregnant. He, Mary knew about the birds and the bees. And Mary's thinking, I've never had sex with a man. Never. So how am I gonna be pregnant? And the angel explains it. Nothing wrong with asking questions. Mary, Mary's not complaining. She's just asking a, a good question. And if you really want to finish well, man, I hope you got lots of good questions about the Bible. And hopefully you have somebody in your life who might be able to answer them for you or help you find answers to them. Listen to what James says in James chapter 1. And he's not talking about marriage here. He's not talking about relationships between friends or spouses. A lot of people miss 
the context of what James says here. He's talking about the word of God. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. What's he saying here? What's he trying to, what's he trying to tell us here? Well, he gives us three great thoughts, and the first one's this. Always be eager to listen to what the Bible says. James says, understand this, brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen. And as I said, he's not talking about you be quick to listen to your spouse. There might be some application there. But in its context, James is saying, you always be quick to listen to what God has to say. When, when you're uh, uh, you know, struggling through some difficult time or you're in need of God's wisdom or you're trying to come you know, overcome some temptation in your life, you need to hear from God. You need to be quick to listen to what God has to say. Here's the deal. This is, this is super interesting to me. Today in America, Bibles are everywhere, aren't they? You can find them in grocery stores, bookstores, motels, uh, all you have them on your smartphones. I mean, they're everywhere. They come in all shapes, sizes, translations, versions, leather-bound, paperback, you, you, you name it. Every, every year, the Bible outsells every other major bestseller. Last year, they say over 500 million Bibles were, were published in over 18,000 different languages. In America, we're glutted with the Word of God on the airways, radio, TV, books, podcasts, magazines, websites. It's everywhere. Yet millions of people who claim to know the Lord rarely even open it. In other words, they're not quick to listen to what God has to say. Now, they're quick to listen to a lot of other junk, they're quick to get home and turn on their cable news network really fast. They're quick to listen to all kinds of things. Let your favorite artist drop a new album on, on iTunes. Man, you'll, you'll figure out a way to create some space to listen to that new record. You're quick to listen to you know whatever that is. But God says through James, be quick to listen to the word of God. How eager are you to read your Bible? How eager are you to go to a Bible study? How eager are you to have a, a quiet time? How eager are you to you know, come to church in the morning? How eager are you to read a book that might better explain you know, a Bible uh, you know, teaching or theology or, or whatever? The second thing James says is this, is always be careful when you speak about what God says. He says, hey, be quick to listen. Get into this. But then be very, very slow to speak about it. You see, every true believer, the last thing we want to do is misrepresent what God says. And so James says, you be quick to listen to it, but slow down, big fella, when you're going to post something. And you have no idea really what that verse is all about that you just posted. And many of you have gotten private messages from me. I'll see a verse that you've posted and I'll say, hey, listen, why don't you take that off of there and I want you to, 
work hard. I'll give you some other passages to look at. And I want you to look hard. I want you to really understand it because you're going to find out that what you just posted had nothing to do with what you think it had to do with. This might even be one of the verses sometimes that's posted that people have no clue what it's about. And so we need to be very, very careful when we speak about the things of God. James is gonna go on and say this in James chapter three. He's gonna say, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. Well, why is that? For you're gonna incur a more stricter judgment. Now, we're gonna go to heaven, but God says, hey, listen, if you're gonna teach my word, you better be very careful you know what you're talking about. And so all of our Sunday school teachers, our women teachers, our men teachers, our youth teachers, Look, you get up, you better represent what he says accurately. I'm often asked, do I get nervous when I walk up here? I don't get nervous when I walk up here to do an announcement. I got over that a long time ago. I can stand in front of anybody and give announcements. My heartbeat doesn't go up, my blood pressure doesn't go up, I don't lose any sleep over it. But when the last song's being played, and I know I'm about ready to walk up and unpack the word of God. I guarantee you, my blood pressure's spiking. It's a very nerve-wracking moment because I don't speak for God. He's already spoken. I just need to make sure that I'm very careful that I do my best to help you understand what he said. And that does get you goofed up. And, and, and the third thing, and this brings us back to our text. James says, always be aware of the conflict between your flesh and what the Bible teaches. James says, hey, bros, sisters, listen. Be quick to get in here and listen to what God says. Careful. Be slow to speak about it. And be slow to get angry about what you read. Because your flesh isn't going to like it. You see, the Bible says that our flesh is in diametric opposition to spiritual things. No good dwells in your flesh, the great apostle says. The last thing your flesh wants is for you to obey this. And so when you read it, you are going to read things that you go, what? I don't understand that. Or, or you're going to complain about it. Or you're going to grumble about it. It's going to wrinkle your flesh. And James says, be very careful. Talking about God's word here. And I can prove right now how that happens. In fact, it happens in here every weekend where your flesh gets all goofed up. Hey, Christian, it's about a one-minute little section. And we send a little green bag down the row. <laughs> what you want is my money. Well, my money. I, church is all about my money. My money. Give money. It's a one, sometimes it's not even a minute. And the scriptures are filled from front to cover on God's expectation that his people give. And so all we do is go, hey, this is what the Bible says, let's do it. Isn't that weird? Isn't it weird how the Bible can make you angry? And James says, look, be quick to listen to it. 
Slow down when you talk about it and be very careful because you're gonna get angry. You're gonna read things in it you don't like. There are gonna be things in there that you can start to complain and once you start complaining, you're not gonna finish well. There are gonna be things in here that you read that you go, what? Man, if I really believe that, if I go to a church that actually teaches all of the word of God, do you realize that people are gonna call me a hater? They're gonna call me a bigot? They're gonna call me some Jesus freak? They're gonna, they're gonna think I'm, I'm full of hate speech? I, come on, oh no, I can't do it. Uh, I, can't, I just can't do it. I mean, there are a lot of things in here I do like, but man, there's some things in here I don't like. You'll never finish well if you pick and choose which things you like and which you don't like. Look, there's lots of things in here I don't like. I remember when I first gave my life to Christ, one of the first things I learned about was, you know, I'm going to heaven, but there's this place called hell. And I went, okay. Because I had a few people I wanted to go there. And I said, hey, if I'd have known about this hell thing, I might have given my life to Christ a long time ago. I feel pretty good about this. I feel good about the fact that there's some guys in my life who are gonna end up in hell. Woo! One of them was a, a family member and I didn't, didn't like him at all and I was thankful that he was gonna go to hell. Really, I'm, ser I'm serious. And then I remember sitting in church and I heard a sermon that we're supposed to pray for our enemies and all that. And I was going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Praying for the enemies? No. Who would do that? Who, who's dumb enough to come up with an idea like that? I ain't gonna pray for my enemies, man. I like the fact they're going to hell. They deserve to go to hell. I ain't praying for them. Now all of a sudden I'm learning truth and I'm angry. And that just rattled around in my mind for a long time. I couldn't hardly do anything, couldn't sleep or anything because the pastor challenged me to pray for those in my life who didn't know Christ. I remember I met with them and I said, hey, here's the deal, man. I was just wondering, you know, I know the Bible's God's word and all that, but can we just take this one little, I don't want to do that one. I, I'm not going to pray for these people. I want them to go to hell. That's where I want them to go. Lord, I'm glad I'm going to heaven. And I look forward to the day when you send those guys to hell. You know, I'm with you, fist bump. You know, I mean, it was just bizarre now that I think about it. But I was young in the Lord, I didn't know. And all of a sudden, you know, the pastor says, hey, here's the deal. You can gripe and complain about this. or you can just do what it says. And I'll tell you, if I'd have griped and complained about that, I wouldn't be standing here today. I know it. All of a sudden, you know what? Okay, God, I, okay. You know, why, why should I forgive them, you know? Well, I forgave you! Oh, well, yeah, I know, but I'm a pretty good guy compared to them. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it's all there in the scriptures why I should forgive. Because God forgave me. Amen. And then the next thing you know, I start praying for these people. And one of them is with the Lord right now because they came to know Christ. 
And what a great day that was when they gave their life to Christ, even though I started out with, you know, down elevator, you know, kind of a thing. Unbelievable. Look, you always have to be careful because you get angry at the preacher. You, you'll get angry with God. You can get angry, you know, at the Bible. You can get angry at a lot of things whenever you hear truth. But if you want to finish well, listen, work hard. Put some effort into knowing the scriptures, understanding the scriptures. Spend time reading them, studying them, meditating on them, most importantly, applying them, actually doing them, living them out. And then you, 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 you just, don't be somebody that complains about them. You don't have to understand it all. In fact, the Lord will even say in his word, don't, don't lean on your own understanding. Sometimes that's just where you have to go. Don't, don't lean on your own understanding. I know it doesn't make any sense to you. I know the world would say something different. I know that this is gonna cause you some problems and persecution or whatever it is. I know. Don't lean on that. Just trust me. You just lean on me and I'll, I'll make your way straight. You, you, you'll end up crossing the finish line. You, you'll finish the race. You'll finish well. And sometimes that's just what you gotta do because there's gonna be some things you may not understand and that's okay. So in the venue, why don't you stand? Everybody in here stand. Let me, let me pray and let's go enjoy our, our afternoons, okay? So Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, this weekend and man, just literally hundreds and hundreds, maybe a thousand people we're serving in our children's ministries and youth ministries and choir and orchestra, our bands over in the venue. They were ushers and greeters. They, they worked in the information center or the cafe or the bookstore. They're walking the parking lot. Uh, Lord, just so many people who love you and their love for you just spills over into a love for the church. May they have a great afternoon. May, may, may they understand that they were used in some great ways this weekend, just in service. And then I think about all those that serve midweek at Bible studies and, and CR and all of that. God, there's a lot of people here that sacrifice a lot. I'm thankful for those that, that are generous and with great joy they, they gave this morning. I'm thankful for all these young families, last night, last hour, this hour. We, we, we gotta build a new building just for, for all the kids that, that, are, that are here, Lord. I'm so grateful for all of these young parents and their commitment to raise their kids to the glory of God. Give us a great afternoon, and I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you, okay, live for Christ.